This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Support for MPB comes from Trustmark, offering a range of mortgage, affordable housing, refinancing, and construction financing options designed to serve the needs of its customers. More info at trustmark.com slash mortgage. Member FDIC, equal housing lender. Radio, this is Money Talks. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotter Janderson, President of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taff, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. Nancy and Ryder are both chartered financial analysts, and Ryder also holds the Certificate in Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. Well, we're getting to the end of the year, so today we'll talk about financial terms and how those indicators performed during 2019 and during the last 10 years. This is also, as always, a great opportunity for you to call in with your personal finance questions. So give us a call if you have a question. The number is 1-877-MPB-RING. It's 1-877-672-7464. Or email the show. Send it to money at mpbonline.org. So good morning. Hope you're both doing well this morning. Good morning. Good morning, Kevin. Uh, What about some financial news to share? Well, I, I think the biggest news is we've had announcement of impeachment articles of impeachment this morning. And so Ryder was just looking at, well, how is our market responding and what did you find? Uh, the market is not too bothered by this. Obviously, we've been talking about this for a little while. The it's expected, uh, proceedings right? have been going for a while. And, uh, you know, earlier in the week, people were saying, oh, this might happen later this week or early next week. Um, one other uh, financial news that is does also doesn't seem to be having a big effect on the market is um, a handful of announcements about trade deals, um, mainly just the standard things that come up every now and then someone says, oh, I think we're making good progress on this trade deal. Although there is the new the new NAFTA is set to be signed, right. I believe, in Mexico. Right. Um, and, so. and that's interesting because the market has really been driven lately by what's happening in these trade deals. So the fact that we have some positive news and we're not just, you know, bouncing off the walls, that's kind of interesting. Yeah. I might have asked this before, but during the sort of retail season, the Christmas buying season, holiday season, do we get any indication of how well it's going, or is that usually something they look back on? Yeah, so far, um, and we do monitor that all the way through um, because we have stretched out how we purchase, and uh, so far it's looking fairly healthy, um, but you do have some pockets. So there's some pockets that are doing well and some not as well, uh, but so far it looks like consumers seem to be opening their wallets. Uh, having been at some of the shopping areas around the metro area in the last while, I've said that they were quite uh, full. I can't remember. There was, I think it was a Saturday afternoon. It seemed like uh, the the Dogwood shopping area in Flowood was uh, quite busy. So one thing that has popped up that's been interesting is inventories are rising, and that usually means things are sitting on the shelf and we're not buying as much. But that may be on some bigger items, uh, durable goods in particular, autos furniture, appliances, those kinds of things. And that could be an indication of people being a little cautious there. All right. So it's sort of a year-end in review show uh, today. But as always, we look for your personal finance questions at one eight seven seven mpb ring Our phone number is one 672 So before we dive into things, let's say good morning to Brett, who's called in from Vicksburg today. You're on the air with us. Go ahead. Good morning, and thank you, Nancy and Ryder, for your work on our behalf. Oh, At thanks. what point does the national debt, which is now exceeding $21 trillion, uh, begin to impact stock values 
and our portfolios, surely not even the United States, can continue to accrue debt of this magnitude without us at some point feeling its effect. And at what level do you think we'll begin to feel those deleterious impacts? I'll uh, turn my uh, I'll turn off the um, I'll turn off the radio now so I can hear you. Well, it's it is interesting. We have been watching this um, just a few years ago. Interest on the debt, servicing the debt, accounted for about six to seven percent of our budget. It's now at ten percent, and the pieces that we're really paying attention to relate to an aging population. So, mm-hmm. Medicare, Medicaid, and Social Security are really eating up larger and larger pieces of that pie. And normally, when you get into an expansion good economic times, that's when you address some of those things. And instead, we've had a tax cut. So what we're doing in our office is we look at these lower tax rates and we think, hmm, we don't think this can hold. We have about a six or seven year window when everybody's just going to be, you know, basically whistling past the graveyard before we realize we're going to have to raise tax rates and address this because it will affect it eventually. And um, so we're doing some things now trying to get ahead of that curve. Yeah, and I'll just add because this was a conversation we had, and there are some uh, there are some scenarios where it's not so much of a problem. Um, if we have uh, if inflation picks up and we don't incur a whole lot more debt, then that debt becomes less and less valuable and less and less relevant and less and less important. But basically, inflation but is nowhere to be seen. Right. And that's got to be like a, a, a kind of sweet spot scenario where inflation isn't so bad that it's uh, really hurting people, um, but it's it's just enough inflation that we don't have to worry about that cost of the debt. But as Nancy pointed out, the rising cost of kind of as a percentage of our national budget, um, that's a problem. Because that means, you know, more of that dollar you pay in tax is going to unproductive things. We always like to look at uh, government spending as investments in areas we need. You know, what kind of return do we get on spending on education? What kind of return do we get on spending in infrastructure? Um, you don't really get a ton of return for spend, uh, for paying your interest. I mean, you, you got a lot of return, hopefully, when you borrowed the money and did something with it. But paying it back is not a very productive activity. And, and understand that our deficit has increased 26% this year alone. And that is causing some concern at some point. Um, and this caller mentioned, what about investors? When does it start affect our uh, start affecting our portfolios? If we have something called crowding out, meaning that the government is borrowing so much money that it pushes interest rates and really crowds out private investment. All right, Brett, uh, thanks for your call. Good way to get the show started. Uh, again, if you have a personal finance question for us today, the number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 And actually, inflation was going to be the first topic that we discussed. So oh, exciting. So um, remind us again of what inflation actually is. Uh, inflation, you could just kind of broadly say, is the general rise in prices. Um, you know, if, if your loaf of 
of bread was, you know, two dollars last year and it's two dollars and twenty cents this year, then that price went up by ten percent. Your bread inflation was was a ten percent inflation, and so and that's measured. Um, it is the Treasury Department that does this. Um, oh gosh, uh, I'm not sure. And they have uh, well, it's the Consumer Price Index, <laughs> right? The Consumer Price and Index. And there's not just one. There's several. There's a lot because there are a lot of different things. I mean, you can measure inflation in food versus inflation in housing prices or, or fuel. Uh, you have core inflation, which is um, uh, core inflation is things like food and w- is without fuel. It is without fuel. Is without fuel is a big thing because of the uh, fluctuation in. And some food I think is carved out. A weird thing I think maybe milk um, because there are things that are just very volatile and are not really connected, and so that's why that happens. Yeah. So they just measure the price of various baskets by surveying consumers and seeing how much they're spending. Um, and there's a ton of rules and a ton of substitutions that happen, um, but. In general, it's the rising or falling in prices. Producer Liz Gill informs me it's the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Oh, the BLS, uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, part of the deal. So what causes inflation? Well, it's um, basically too much money chasing too few goods. And um, inflation happens when the economy is heating up and everybody's feeling good and okay, we're going to buy more stuff. Um, And we've been watching it lately because the labor market has been so tight. And one of the biggest expenses for any business is labor wages. And so if you have to pay more, you're going to pass on those increased costs to your customers by raising those prices. So the increased demand means that the people that create the things know that they can get more money for them? Is that how it works? Right, right. Um, You can't raise uh, back in 2008 when we had the big crash. In 2009, Starbucks lowered the price of coffee because there wasn't as much demand for it. Um, They're not going to do that right now. You know, people are feeling good. They're opening their wallets. They have jobs. And so you can raise your prices. So whether or not as a business you can raise those prices depends on the economic status of your customers. Yeah, and, and there's a couple of things with general kind of manufacturers, say, think, you know, toys and, you know, hardware, things like that. Um, you also have, so you have, what is the demand form? So if nobody is demanding uh, toys, for instance, you know, uh, then if you have a ton of toys, the price of toys are going to go down. But at the same time, if it becomes more expensive to make toys, um, then, you know, prices have to come up to an extent, but only so much that the that demand can, can support Which it. Which brings up the tariffs, right? And so... When we have those raw goods or those parts that go into our uh, finished goods, when those are more expensive, then businesses are going to have to raise the price as much as they can. All right. I want to ask about how inflation affects us individually, but we need to take a quick break first. We'll get to that after this break. You're listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. It's a discussion about 2019 this hour and looking for your personal finance questions. If you have one, give us a call at 1-877-MPB. Ring. It's 1 672 7464. You can send an email to money at mpbonline.org. So, how has the price of gasoline changed in the last year? We'll tell you that after the break. You're listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. I'm Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. 
hosted in legal terms. If you're enjoying this podcast, I encourage you to listen to In Legal Terms, the show about you and your rights. We find interesting legal topics to bring to you and let you know how the law affects you. Find In Legal Terms on any podcasting platform on your smart device or on our website, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. Information presented on Money Talks is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information presented does not create any type of relationship between the hosts and guests and the listening audience. Please consult a financial advisor or any other qualified professional for guidance about your personal finance questions. Back to Money Talks. If you ever miss part of the show, go to moneytalks.mpbonline.org to listen again. You can also download our MPB Public Media app and listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lottridge-Anderson, President of New Perspectives and Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. We're looking back at 2019 and the last decade today, looking for your personal finance questions as well. Uh, before the break, we asked about the price of gasoline, and according to the U.S. Energy Information Administration. The weekly U.S. regular retail gasoline price last week was $2.58 a gallon. Last year, it was $2.45 a gallon, and 10 years ago, it was $2.63 a gallon. So that's interesting that some minor fluctuation there, but pretty much the same thing for the last decade or so. Yeah, and so that's, um, as I pointed out before, gasoline prices are very volatile. And I mean, we see that, you know, even just seasonally, uh, we see that volatility. And so that's why it's often left out of um, inflation measures just because it's it, it is a large part of folks budget and you know for something that volatile is sometimes it it masks what's going on in the other categories and so that's makes that whole measure less useful if they don't leave it out yeah I wonder if we would look back in the de- last decade whether that it had been probably pretty much higher than that average and, and, and somewhat lower than that as well but uh, interesting right. that it's kind of it, it averages out so don't stop grumbling about the price you paid though. <laughs> All right, so uh, we've got a call to get it, but I did want to wrap up our one final thought on inflation, and that is kind of bring it down to the personal level. How does it affect us uh, in our personal finances and going about our daily spending? Well, the first thing I would say for uh, folks who are on Social Security, you watch that every year because that's calculated in the fall. And, um, you know, right now we're looking at inflation of 1.7%. For Social Security, it's calculated a little bit differently. And so those recipients are going to get a 2.8% raise next year. So that's really important when you look at that. There have been three years when Social Security recipients got no raise, 2010, 2011, and 2016. And boy, were they grumbling then. But you're going to see increases in, in particular, people will talk about going to the grocery store and noticing it takes more just Mm -hmm. to buy what you need for that family of four. And it starts to eat into things that you could be spending on other items. And so you're going to pull back on maybe uh, some, you know, um, pleasure trips or extra things that you could be doing because you have to spend more on just the basics. All right. Uh, we have another call to get to, and Danny has called in from Pascagoula. Good morning, Danny. You're on the air with us. Go ahead. Oh, good morning. Happy holiday. I want to vote her into the presidency. 
Um, all that good stuff, yes. All right. I call her the mother of radio. Oh, thank you. Uh, you can call me the grandmother. On, yeah, we talked a long time about other issues. Yeah, I was, uh, there's two things real quick. Um, the first one is um, I have stash, and I'm getting ready to get into fidelity. I had it back when I used to work for uh, 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 Bullet Automotive. And uh, I found out how easy it worked for me and how there was no fees. And mm-hmm. and uh, I wish I never cashed that in. Now I got stashed where they got a little fee, but they seem to help want to build your portfolio because they build your portfolio good. It's good for them. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and the other thing is the inflation. You know how media talks about it and how the president, oh, everything's good. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, when we really hear the truth, a lot of things are not really good and the people are panicking. And do you feel that that stops a lot of people from investing like they should or learn how to invest like they should? Um, so a number of interesting points there, Danny. I really appreciate your call. Um, one thing about uh, kind of linking inflation to investment. Um, so if you're looking at kind of like looking at your budget and saying, okay, you know, what do I, what do I have to set aside as savings? And if you are looking at things in particular that are going up a lot, there are some things which rise at a higher pace than others. Um, notably, medical expenses, uh, college expenses, those have uh, risen a lot faster historically than uh, things like food and housing expenses. Um, and then... Uh, like we mentioned before, the volatility of of uh, fuel. So you know, say you have to drive a lot. Say you have yeah, a lot of medical yeah, expenses, things like that. Um, those when folks see those things rising a lot, that can discourage you from saving because you just feel you don't have the money. That can discourage you from putting money into the market because again, you just don't feel you have the money or feel you might need the money soon. And we're not going to counsel anybody to put money in the market that they need soon. Um, that being said, there's kind of uh, an opposite effect on investments for those who actually are investing. Um, we often think of stock investments as somewhat inflationary. So as prices are rising, because stock investments, you are investing in companies. And if companies right. are raising their prices, um, they may be making more money. And so since they are assets and asset prices are inflation, can be inflationary, then you see that you, you capture some of that inflation. You capture some of that rise uh, when you invest in stocks. It's not a necessarily a one-to-one relationship, but over time, uh, you, you see some correlation there. Um, right. uh, and just as far as you getting started investing yourself with the Stash um, app and uh, using Fidelity, I'm guessing maybe that Fidelity, is that a, is that a workplace program, your 401k? Well, or? now they got it to where... Like, I work for Lyft right now. I'm mm-hmm. with Lyft now. Okay, yeah. Thank God. And <laughs> with Lyft and regular, with Fidelity, they're hungry now. So they're going to the people, just as the credit unions went to a lot of people, mm-hmm. uh, used to be only military or you had to be a right. part of that company. Exactly. Now they're opening their doors because they see that uh, people are looking for education on finance. They, yes. They're looking for a place that's going to give more money, more interest on their money. I, mm-hmm. I've got one now through Stash. They're trying to get me into MTI, which is a uh, money marketing, um, uh, 
currency, learning how to invest in currency. Uh, oh, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Okay. Don't do that. Yeah. There you go, mama. <laughs> she said, don't do that. Okay. Yeah. I, when when yeah. you're investing, I, I, and actually, um, just stick with the basics. And I actually was just rereading uh, this fantastic yeah. short little uh, story called The Richest Man in Babylon. Um, right. The Richest Man in Babylon, it's kind of, it tells, it's kind of a, a parable of sorts, but it teaches several very good rules for managing and growing your wealth, including simple things like, you know, try to save 10% of your income, you know, the concept of kind of paying yourself first. You know, I know you've got a lot of bills out there, but also include yourself as one of those people who needs to get paid Um, and kind of investing in, you know, kind of known, reliable things, uh, not going for speculation. And actually the example in the uh, parable, if you may, was about... Uh, is that actually about like speculating in gemstones or something? Um, but I'm reading the book now called Think and Grow. Think. And okay, thinking grow. Okay, so so that's a very uh, good one, and and a lot of these boil down to. So mm-hmm. I have read that one, and that guy's uh, he's a very enthusiastic writer, right. and his writing that that appeals to a ton of folks. Um, but a lot of these they boil down to the same kind of simple rules. Um, is you've got to you've got to save money and pay yourself first. Uh, you've got to invest kind of for the long term, and so I mean, often and kind of as as we say, just look at look at the stock market, get get a get a mutual fund or an exchange traded fund that just tracks a broad segment of stocks and, and just kind of it's the consistency of continuing to save and continuing to invest and not having to get out of that. It takes time for those gains to accumulate. Um, I wish they teach this in high school to our students now. If the kids can learn how to write a paycheck and write a check mm-hmm. and learn about investments early, they could help their parents as well as help themselves. Well, they're working on that. They're doing more of that than they Amen. used to. Yeah. yeah. And then I'll always put in a plug here for um, uh, Mississippi Economic Council. Uh, they are working. Uh, they, they do teacher trainings. They they write curriculum and, they and, do the stock and lesson game. plans, do stock market and games. I'm from New York. All sorts of things. Oh, okay. Uh, so, yeah, you're from the finance capital I of the whole run, world. I used to be a runner down on Wall Street. Oh, that's. <laughs> I knew you were from Mississippi. <laughs> so, yeah, so I feel Mississippi can be a true leader in the South because I feel we're getting more multicultural. I feel that the opportunity for finance can be more open. And I really think that we can be a leader for the rest of the country. All right. Hey, Danny, appreciate your call. Thanks so very much for the kind words. And it's always good to hear when someone's kind of taking charge of their personal finances and really getting involved in that and and interested in trying to learn as much as they can. Now, I know he was uh, proposing writing you in on the ballot, but it sounds like he might be running for something. It does. (laughs) So vote for Danny next time you see him on the ballot. This is Money Talks. We're kind of reviewing 2019 and the previous decade this morning, as well as looking for your personal finance questions. So give us a call if you have one. The number is one eight seven. Seven MPB ring. It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can email the show as well. Just send it to money at mpbonline.org. One of the other things I think that was talked a lot about in two thousand nineteen is the idea of student loans and sort of the mounting debt that student loans. Oh, it's getting uh, tough. So, um, oh yeah. What about uh, 2019 and, and, as we said, maybe mounting debt, but any other kind of changes or important stories from the year? The total 
uh, student loan debt now is at $1.6 trillion. That is with a T. And it is really uh, dragging down our economy because about 65% of graduates are graduating with debt. The average debt right now is around $30,000. Um, if you graduate from medical school, your debt is going to be about 196000 But guess what? If you go through dentist, dental school, it's going to be 285000 Wow. So y'all remember, a, tip your dentist. Yeah. <laughs> that takes a long time for you to pay that off. It is then slowing family formation, buying houses, uh, starting families, doing all of those things. It's a real drag. We did have some programs that allowed for loan forgiveness, but we're seeing um, under the current um, education department, they are very slow at approving those. And there are some people who thought they were going to get their loans forgiven that are suddenly waking up and realizing they have to pay it all back. Uh, Yeah, so uh, in that, though, a couple things about the rise in student loan balances. Of course, everybody kind of went back to grad school when they lost their jobs in 2008, and that ton, tons of student loans were taken out for that, um, which, you know, we now have one of the most educated generations out there uh, walking around with all the all this debt. Um, and additionally, they did change the way a lot of student loans were issued. The, the federal government, I believe in 2008, started taking responsibility for way more of those. Um, they ended a lot of the um, kind of private um, uh, official student loans. Um, so that's kind of why you see that huge, huge, huge growth. Um, one thing they have done recently, because that public service forgiveness has not turned out the way it, it, it was expected to. I think I read recently something less than 1% of all oh, applications are approved um, just because they made it so incredibly cumbersome. Uh, and so they made it just so that it's, it's just so easy to say, oh, well, you know what? You didn't, you didn't dot this I or cross this T, so you don't get that. Um, but they have changed, and this is, I, I'll repeat this every time we talk about student loans, they have changed the repayment terms of a lot of the loans to make them uh, so that there is built-in forgiveness. So if you are... If you are, you know, kind of lower income or you really regardless what your income is, if your payment is is a lot, if you're struggling with the payment, there are programs and it's just it's just a different repayment term. You call up your 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 um, your servicer and you say, hey, you know, I'd like to get on an income based repayment plan and it limits it to 10 or 15 percent. Um, there's two different tiers, just depending on what your loan is, uh, 10 or 15 percent of your uh, income. And that is after. After a, a th- certain threshold, which is 150% of poverty level. So, and poverty level is around $12,000. But so. that's only for federal loans, right? So, there are a lot right. of people out there with private loans that don't even qualify for those programs. Right. So, don't get private loans. Um, yes, is one absolutely. Big because one. I've seen some with double digit interest rates. E- yes. And, and, and so, what I was saying about a lot of the changes that have been made is um, you don't see the private loans, I don't see them as often for. Um, especially for undergraduate, as you used to. Um, They're still out there, and there are still private uh, companies willing to refinance those loans. But you have to look very carefully about what those repayment terms that you get with the federal student loans are. And some of those are very generous uh, or or just at least very forgiving. Um, and, And so they can really limit the amount that you have to pay if it is a hardship situation. Uh, You also have forbearance that you can um, take pretty much um, when you need it. But um, it's very hard to get student loans discharged in bankruptcy. Just remember that. That's true. 
All right. We need to take another break. We've got Marie on the line from Kosciuszko. Marie, if you'll hold on through this break, we'll get to your call right after the break. You're listening to Money Talks today. We're reviewing 2019 and the previous decade. So if you have a question for us today, the number is 1-877-MPB-RING. It's 1-877-672-7464. Email the show. Send it to money at mpbonline.org. So how have car prices changed in the last 10 years? We'll get that information for you in the next segment. You're listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. Welcome back to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotter-Janderson, President of New Perspectives and Ryder Tapp, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. Nancy and Ryder are both chartered financial analysts, and Ryder holds the Certificate in Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. So how have car prices changed in the last decade? According to an article in Road & Track magazine with data from Edmonds, on average, new cars sold for more than $36,000 in February of 2019, and that's up 29% from the same month in 2009. Meanwhile, median household income in the U.S. has only increased about 6% in that same time frame. So one of the interesting things about that car price increase is some of that is just people buying nicer cars. That doesn't mean, you know, your same Toyota Camry or your same Ford F-150 is 30% more expensive, um, but people have been able to move up into more expensive vehicles. And part of that, we've discussed before, uh, the way they're now doing car loans, extending the term for slightly longer used to be kind of normal to do a five maybe six year now we're seeing six and seven year uh, loans being a lot more common which just lowers that monthly payment and makes a more expensive vehicle more in reach to folks and the other thing is 2009 nobody was buying cars because we were all you know huddled under our desk What's, in a fetal when position we had the, uh, <laughs> yes when was it we had the cash for clunkers or you know oh yeah it was but, kind of short-lived thing but, but that just tells you um, that if you think there's going to be an economic slowdown, a recession, if you've got cash, you're going to win because <laughs> everything's on sale. All right. Back to the phone lines we go. Marie is on the line from Kosciuszko. Good morning, Marie. You're on the air with us. Hi. Good morning. Good morning. I was just calling to look for rec- recommendations on um, what to do with extra cash that I get from my um, income, from my pension, mm. and I work part-time from Social Security, I've, and uh, I get uh, painted out on an annuity. Um, so my monthly income gross uh, is quite a bit more than I use. So every year or I, I you know, save uh, into a savings account about... Ten to twenty thousand. After I give my kids about the same amount, so and for savings, I you know you you don't earn anything. Well, right. and, and you have to consider uh, real earnings versus nominal. We won't get into all of that. Mm-hmm. That relates to inflation. But Marie, you are semi-retired. If you're still working, yeah, semi-retired. I I just work because. 
I can. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's the spirit. So really what you want to probably do with that extra money is to reinvest it. Do you have a good savings account? Um, what do you mean a good savings account? Just do you have a savings account? Oh, yeah. Okay. I have a couple. All right. Um, <laughs> and the job that I work, I get, uh, I also have an, another 401k. Okay. Oh, wow. You may, um, and how old are you? Uh, 69. Okay. At your age, maybe having somewhere in the range of twenty five to 50000 just in a savings account is fine. And no, it's not going to pay a lot, but it's going to be totally accessible to you if you have some needs that pop up. Oh, now, I have that with no problem. Okay. If you've gone beyond that, then you need mm-hmm. to invest that money longer term, thinking about what will happen at the end of your life and what your needs will be. And um, if you're still working... Working, if you have a job and you have W-2 earnings, you can still contribute to an IRA and um, do part of that money into an IRA account. Just do a good mutual fund or a stock investment of some sort, and that's going to be long-term money for you. Um, so, yeah, and it, you did say did, you said you had a 401k, and that's from your current part-time job. Yes. So you could just contribute to that. That would be one of the easiest ways yeah, to I do it. I put half my salary in that. I mean, and if you... She does it if right. If you have more, you know, if you, if you still have more than you need, you could continue to put more in there. Um, one caution is once you turn 70 and a half and have to start taking required minimum distributions, you won't be able to contribute to a traditional IRA, but you could contribute to a Roth IRA if you wanted to do Roth savings. Um, because with your incomes, you know, just I don't know where where you lie on the, on the tax spectrum but you know the 401k well, I, I have to pay every year so well well we all we all that. do don't we it's like i have to write a check out right me. what one thing i would i would think about when you are investing this for a longer term is kind of what are the big things on the horizon and obviously one of the big things uh for you might just be what are you going to pass along to your children in which case you can you know when you're thinking about that money and money you're dedicating to passing along, you can invest that fairly aggressively because that's not necessarily going to be money that you depend on. Um, but another thing to watch out for is um, uh, long-term care costs, nursing home costs, uh, higher medical costs in the future. Um, yeah, that was one of the things, the mm-hmm. long-term care costs. So, um, yeah. So if you're saving for that, um, and, and what I'll say, just kind of f- from looking at long-term care uh, insurance policies, it's probably going to be too late for you to um, right. get one of those. Late. Right. <laughs> but a lot of those kind of aim for covering three hundred to $500,000 worth of medical expenses because they say it kind of on average, it's, I think it's right around $300,000 of, of, um, you know, nursing and end of life, uh, medical expenses, uh, that, that would need to come out of your pocket or somebody's pocket somewhere. Um, um one thing I would ask, you mentioned you're getting money out of annuity. Mm-hmm. Um, did you do a formal annuitization of that where you lock in a certain number of years or are you just getting money out uh, upon request? Um, I think it's upon request. It, 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 um, because that could be where your biggest tax burden is. Um, coming from that annuity. And so you might just want to call the insurance company and ask the question, can I stop it? And just let it sit within that account. Um, if well, you're not... the ones that told me to start taking it out. 
Because okay. I was going to let it just stay there hmm. and you know give it have my children go get it right but they said because it's like it compounds what six percent mm-hmm. that the amount that i put in i should start taking that out so that i could get the amount that uh, hmm. the interest amount well i i would ask that question maybe have that conversation with your rep who um uh, signed you up for that annuity mm-hmm. because that's probably your biggest tax liability right there okay all right, uh, Marie, thank you so much for your call. This is Money Talks on FPB Think Radio. We're reviewing 2019, some things from the past decade as well this year, but also looking for your personal finance questions, and we've got several good ones today. So if you have one, give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can email the show as well. Send it to money at mpbonline.org. Before we go, one thing that we talk a lot about on the show are mutual funds. And so, again, if we could have a kind of review, a primer of what a mutual fund is and what's the best way to get started investing uh, with mutual funds. Uh, Yeah. So mutual funds are just a way of accessing other investments. Uh, Mutual fund is just a box in which there is a manager who is placing stocks, bonds or cash. I'm just going to leave it with those. Those are the those are kind of three investments we we primarily talk about. Um, And when you're looking at kind of, you know, because we are kind of reflecting back on the year and on the decade, um, how stocks have done um, the S&P 500 index of, you know, the 500, basically the 500 largest stocks. Uh, in the U.S. has returned almost 11% a year for the past 10 years. That's amazing. Um, it's, it's, it started uh, the end of 2009. I believe I'm, I, this is the correct date that I'm going from, was um, 1,132. And then uh, it ended with, when I was checking it yesterday, it was at 3,135. That's almost, that's 2.76 times up. Uh, So every dollar you put in 10 years ago would be $2.76 now. Um, And that's kind of broadly the same for uh, the Russell 2000 tracking small cap and even the Dow Jones, which is a little lower than that. Um, The NASDAQ composite, this is Nancy's favorite. She's gonna she's gonna love to brag about this one. Um, love the keys. It has has a, has a lot more uh, tech stocks, consumer discretionary stocks. Are really playing off of off of increased spending. Um, that has increased at a rate of fourteen percent a year. Um, it is up. So every dollar you would have put in that, it would have been three dollars and eighty cents today, which is which is wild. Um, and I was actually speaking with um, speaking with a friend uh, the other day who's getting started in investing and, and he was saying, so what are your, you know, oh, are we going to have, uh, you know, stocks have done so well, you know, surely it's going to crash at some point, it's going to go down. Um, and it, that wasn't, uh, particularly for him, for, particularly for a lot of people who are young and just getting started, that's not the concern to have. I, while I do think um, that these, you know, 10 and 14% returns over a decade um, are very high and unlikely to be repeated, uh, particularly anytime soon. That's not, you know, you don't, you know, stay out of the market because you think, oh, I'm not going to get that 10% return. Um, yes, returns may be lower going forward. You know, I've seen estimates as low as, uh, four and a half to 6%. Um, 
a lot of times we look at historically, it's in the eight to ten percent range. Um, so I, I, I like to fall somewhere in between there. Maybe looking at even five or six percent returns um, over the next ten years. That's still great returns. Uh, that's still great reason to invest. Um, and how that return pattern comes about, it's not going to be ten straight years of six percent returns. I'm, I'm you know, knock on wood. Um, but, uh, yes, there may be some declines, but, um, just it's lower returns. It's not necessarily the risk that everything disappears. And how do regular people, uh, get access to those kinds of returns? Well, most people do it through their company retirement plan. If you have a 401k or a 403b, there's going to be a list of mutual funds in there. And a mutual fund is just a buying group. And you have to figure out, well, which group do I want to be in? What are they buying? Are they buying bonds or stocks? Are they investing in short-term cash instruments? And that's going to determine what your return will be. Um, Mutual funds are tailor-made for uh, retirement plans. So that's where you start. All right. Time for our final break this hour. When we get back, we've got Carlton on the line from Camden. We'll get to his question uh, after this break. You're listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio, closing out 2019 on this broadcast. Still time for you to work on a personal finance question. If you have one, the number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 Email the show as well. Send it to money at mpbonline.org. So how have college tuition prices changed in the last 10 years? We'll have that for you after the break. You're listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, professor of internal medicine and pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. On the original Southern Remedy, we answer questions about all aspects of your health and share some of the latest medical information in the news. You can listen to the show on Wednesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app. to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, President of New Perspectives and Ryder Taft Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. Before the break, we asked you about uh, tuition prices. Kevin's been munching on cookies. Okay, I got yeah. caught, yeah. He got caught with his hands in the cookie <laughs> jar. <laughs> yeah. According to what, the college... What flavor? Uh, it's really good. It's a chocolate chip, but it's got nuts and it's got some white uh, chocolate chips in there as well. So wow. and, and stay tuned. Stay tuned for the recipe on um, Deep what, South Dining. Deep South Dining. Very good. Right. All right. According to the College Board, the average tuition and fees in 2019 dollars for the academic year of 2019-2020 to private nonprofit four-year college was thirty-six thousand eight hundred and eighty dollars. That's a ten-year increase of about six thousand dollars. For a public four-year college, the average tuition and fees were $10,440 for an increase of about $2,000 over the average price from 2009 to 2010. That's not quite as steep as I was expecting. Um, I think it kind of historically, for I'm not sure what time period this is over, but college costs have increased about 8%, which is way higher, uh, 8% a year, which is way higher than um, most other uh, most other consumer goods. All right. Carlton has held on through the break for us and is now on the line from Camden. Good morning, Carlton. Go ahead, please. 
Good morning. Good morning. I, yeah, I had a question about uh, the 401k rollover question. So I, I left a, uh, a a company several years ago um, uh, with a 401k intact and with the intent of, of rolling it over to the employer where I was going. Mm-hmm. And a couple of years, well, more than a couple of years have passed, and I, it, it just hadn't happened yet. But I, I noticed I've get, been getting a, uh, a couple of letters, quite a few letters in this past year, mm-hmm. uh, where the uh, previous employer was really encouraging me to go ahead and roll those funds over. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was curious um, what, the, uh, what is that? What is the benefit for the the firm, um, you know, your previous employer, to mm-hmm. want you to to move over uh, off of their uh, your old plan? Yeah, so um, 401k administration is very large, complex, and can be expensive. And often uh, the employer will be paying some of that administration expense. Uh, so, you know, particularly while you're working there, you know, that's just one of the benefits. You know, they provide this investment plan for you. They pay some of the costs for you uh, to encourage you to participate because um, companies do have incentives uh, for their employees to, to participate. So making it easy and low cost cost for you is is an incentive there. Um, so they're motivated to get you out of the plan now because they may still be paying some of your costs. Um, they may not be able to push all of the costs onto you. Um, and, you know, just your plan, uh, your account still sitting there may be affecting um, uh, how they get to participate and changes they can make in the plan. Um, so companies often only want their active employees still in the plan because because while it is in a 401k, it is still part of that 401k trust. Uh, it's not like a lot of other accounts where that money is just is just strictly titled as yours, and you know nobody else can really see it or touch it. And there may okay. be some benefit for you to move that um, if your current employer has a really good plan and you like the investment choices. It might be good for you to have all your money in one place, and you can yeah. monitor it better. Um, if they don't, it might be good for you to move it to an IRA rollover account where you have all kinds of investment choices. Um, it's just a matter of are you comfortable in doing that and managing that yourself? Okay. Okay. All right, Carlton. Thanks for your call. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. We're wrapping up 2019. This is our last, last live broadcast of Money Talks for the hol- for the year. Uh, next week, we are going to air a show that we recorded a couple of weeks ago about PERS, the Public Employment Retirement System. A lot of great information uh, on that show. And then probably some holiday programming to wrap up the year. And before we end this, and I, I, I let the chance go by, a big thanks to Nancy and Ryder. Big thanks to both of you for the work that you do on this show. Uh, great stuff every week. Uh, You come in here and you volunteer your time. It's something that we certainly appreciate, and happy holidays to you both. Hope you enjoy the holiday season. Thanks. Uh, This is a really fun gig. We we do enjoy doing it, and it lets us get on our soapbox and uh, hopefully educate some folks. All right, so uh, let's wrap things up. Got a couple minutes left here. Uh, We talked briefly about stocks, but a lot of times you hear stocks and bonds. So uh, what about bonds? Is is that a good investment vehicle as well? well? And let me just back up and say 
say a stock is ownership in a company. And so if you're an owner, you're exposed to all the risk of being an owner. If the company does well, then you're going to do well. If it doesn't do well, you're not going to do well. The risks and rewards. Yes. Uh, But a bond is different. A bond is um, a loan. So when you buy a bond, you're loaning a company or a government entity money. And so you're not really participating in the growth of the company. You're hoping they're growing up to be able to just service the debt. But all you're doing is expecting some um, interest and the amount that you loan to come back to you. Yeah, so when we talk about putting money in a bond fund, that is uh, just a whole pile of bonds. Somebody is managing it. Somebody is picking those bonds, and uh, you put your money in there, and you are a lot of your return is going to come from interest being paid back to you. Um, with a bond fund, the dynamics are a little different from just making a single loan or buying a single bond uh, because the value of the bonds can increase because the all the uh, issuers may. Maybe they became more credit worthy. So, you know, the likelihood that they pay back increased or if it decreased that the bond prices may go down. Um, And then they also change with uh, the prevailing interest rates in the rest of the market. So if you bought a bond and it was paying 3% and then interest rates rose so that they were paying 4%, your bond would be less valuable because it would pay less interest. Uh, So people would be less interested in it. So that price would go down and vice versa if the price, if the interest rates went down. All right, that's going to wrap us up today. Thanks for everybody who called in with questions this morning. Money Talks is a production of MPB Think Radio, funded in part by generous financial support from you, our listeners. To hear today's show or previous show, you can go to moneytalks.mpbonline.org, or you can listen to the podcast. Just search for Money Talks on your favorite podcasting app. Our show is produced by Liz Gill, and our call screener is Java Chapman. So for Dr. Nancy Lodger-Janderson and Ryder Taff, I'm Kevin Farrell, inviting you to stay tuned because up next at 10, it's in legal terms. We'll have Money Talks on against two, again next Tuesday at 9 right here on MPB Think Radio. Support for MPB comes from Trustmark, a financial partner for businesses throughout the South for 130 years. Trustmark offers a range of products and services designed to help small businesses efficiently manage finances. More info at Trustmark.com, member FDIC. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast.